Canons of Dort, third and fourth head of doctrine, Article 14 and 15. By faith, you respond to God's effectual call. Our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, God called you to receive the work of Jesus Christ on the cross as your own. But you couldn't respond. You had neither the desire nor the ability to respond. So God called you by his Holy Spirit. God called you in an irresistible way. God called you by giving you faith so you could respond. And this is what you will hear about today. Our headings are two. By faith, you respond to God's effectual call. By actions, you respond to God's effectual call. Our goals are that you will be astonished at what God needed to do in order to save you and that you will then be reinvigorated to love and serve him better. By faith, you respond to God's effectual call. Article 14, the way God gives faith. We read then together in this way. Therefore, faith is a gift of God, not in the sense that it is offered by God for people to choose, but that it is actual fact bestowed on them, breathed and infused into them. Nor does God bestow only the potential to believe and then await people's assent, the act of believing, by their own free choice. Rather, God who works both willing and acting, indeed works things in all people and produces in them both the will to believe and the belief itself. Now, a little complicated, but hopefully we'll break it down in bite-sized pieces. First of all, you needed faith to respond to God and believe in him. Foul eye to the fountain fly? Well, you are only able to go there by faith. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says together, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You would not move a spiritual muscle without faith. You could never do anything to please God. God had to give you everything you needed, absolutely everything, even bring it to you. You were in worse shape than a man who's in the hospital unconscious from an accident. How could you be in worship? You were dead, dead in sin. He had to give you life first. So God graciously gave faith as a gift. Remember, faith is knowledge and an ardent trust in the Lord. So even your ability to receive God's work, that work that Jesus did on the cross for sinners, was a gift. Why am I emphasizing this? Because the more you see what God did for you and the helplessness of the human condition, the more you would love God the more you will love God.
And the truth is, this is not something new. Man has always been dependent on God. Even at creation, man was dependent upon God. God had to give man everything he needed. When God made man and put him in the garden, what did God say? I've given you this garden. I've given you food. I've given you everything you need. What was man at the beginning? Nothing but dirt. And God gave man everything he needed. Man needed a wife. What happened? What did, how did, would he get a wife? God had to give him a wife as well. And so it is for those who are coming to know the Lord to be saved. You don't have anything in yourself. This is what God did. This is what God gives. Acts chapter 17 verse 28 says together, For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own prophets have said. For we are also his offspring. Remember, Paul was speaking here in Athens in the Oropagus. And there, they had more gods in Athens than people. And all their gods, they had to take care of their gods and brush the dust from them. God is saying, uh, Apostle Paul is saying, there's one true God. The one in whom we live and move and have our being. In other words, you depend upon this one true God. For life and for everything. And this is why the Apostle Paul took it upon himself to correct these false teachings that were creeping into the church at Corinth. This thing that you in yourself, you you naturally have abilities. You naturally can choose. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 7 says in your sermon notes together. For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you indeed received it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Everything you are, everything you have is because of the grace of God from creation and in recreation in Jesus Christ. Let this sink into us. When we like to think, By my skill, I've worked. I built this house from the sweat of my face. And I worked hard for this new phone I've got. I, I, I have done. It's only the grace of God. Only the grace of God. Now, how do you get that faith that you're required to have to receive what Jesus did on the cross? Faith is breathed into or infused into those whom God has chosen. And this explains why man apart from God cannot choose God. He needs new life breathe into him. He needs faith to receive what God did. Faith is the hand of the soul. And God must wake him up and give him faith. Now here's where it becomes a little bit difficult. Arminians, some of our brothers in Jesus Christ, they teach that faith is not infused into man. They teach that faith only makes salvation possible. So to them, you may have faith and not be saved. Listen to what they're saying. You can have faith and not be saved. But the Bible teaches that faith 
is not the means of potential or possible salvation. The one who has faith will absolutely receive the work of Jesus Christ as his own. He will repent. Faith and repentance are inextricably linked. Maybe better put it this way. Once God has given you life, there begins that golden chain. Yes, he elected you, and if he elected you, he will call you, and if he calls you, he will justify you. If he justifies you, he will sanctify you. If he sanctifies you, he will glorify you. Everything is linked together. And what a beautiful thing it is that it is linked together in that golden chain. So one, they're saying, oh, you can have faith, but you won't believe it's contrary to what the word of God says. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says together, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So faith makes salvation a reality. Those with faith will, absolutely will, follow Jesus. Now, how do they justify that position and say that that faith is not, um, uh, you can have faith and not be saved? Well, in order to justify their position that faith only makes salvation possible, Armenians argue that faith is a common gift, like the sunshine everyone gets, or the rainfall, or the snow. Everyone gets these blessings, and, and therefore... Faith is like that. Everyone gets faith. They teach this. In the true conversion of man, no new qualities, powers, or gifts can be infused by God into man's will. Therefore, faith, they argue, is not a quality or a gift infused by God, but only an act of man. You notice what they're doing there. This minimizes God's gifts. They're saying God gives you something, adjust the potential, and then you have to act, and you it's your desire that you would receive Jesus Christ. What they're doing here is watering down faith. They take this precious gift of God, the hand of the soul to receive what Jesus did, and they attribute it to an act of man. So when you say, I decided to follow Jesus... It was only that I decided to follow Jesus. Whereas the Bible teaches, it's because God gave you grace, you decided to follow Jesus. Of course it was your choice. You will see more about that next week, Lord willing. But it's the Lord who worked that you decided to follow. It is because the Lord worked in you that you decide to receive what he offers See, what they're arguing is that man has free will and therefore deserves the credit. And you'll see next week, yeah, you can call it free will if you want, but man doesn't have the ability to choose God. He lost that ability because his will was corrupted in the fall. But the way they see it is like, uh, faith is like someone offering you zucchinis. Now, if you want zucchinis and you enjoy zucchinis, help yourself. But if you don't want, you can reject it or pass it on to somebody else. Let them suffer through the zucchinis. 
But that's not how the scriptures are, is it? That's not what faith is like. You ever seen, I ever go to a funeral and, and, and somebody, nice lady, died and they have all these beautiful flowers and she said, I think I'm going to enjoy a little smell and she sits up, smells them and then says, what would you do if a woman did that? Well, that doesn't happen, right? She can't sit up. You better pray she doesn't sit up at a funeral. But you are, she won't be able to do that because she's dead. She needs new life first. She needs new life first. Similarly, you will never see a dead man respond to God's offer of salvation by himself. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3 says together, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. By the way, let me give you an application here, very uh, important application. This is why you should always pray that the Holy Spirit will work through the people, uh, through the words that you are speaking when you're evangelizing. This is why when uh, Josh and his dad are out on the streets, you should be praying that the Lord will work through that word by his Holy Spirit. Because that's what makes that person receive what Jesus did. But what they're doing, what Armenians do is really bad. And how that must make God angry. His own children are trying to take credit for what he does. Who would like that? Someone taking credit. It's by faith alone, the faith that God gives, that you're able to move from that foul man to that fountain. It's faith that God gives you. We come to our second point then. By faith, but also by actions. By actions, you respond to God's effectual call. Act, uh, Article 15, God's response, or uh, respond to God's grace. Together, God does not owe this grace to anyone. For what could God owe to one who has nothing to give that can be paid back? Indeed, what could God owe to one who has nothing of his own to give but sin and falsehood? Therefore, the person who receives this grace owes and gives eternal thanks to God alone. The person who does not receive it either does not care at all about spiritual things and is self-satisfied in this condition, or else in self-assurance foolishly boasts about having something which is lacking. Furthermore, following the example of the apostles... We are to think and to speak in the most favorable way about those who outwardly profess their faith and better their lives. For the inner chambers of the heart are unknown to us. But for others who have not yet been called, we are to pray to the God who calls things that do not exist as though they did. In no way, however, are we to pride ourselves as better than they. 
as though we had distinguished ourselves from them. How do you respond then with the faith that God gives you? Faith which is a gift and not owed you, and faith that makes you receive the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Well, look at Daniel's full sense of man's hopelessness. Let me read this since you've been reading a lot. From Daniel chapter 4, a longer passage, but I think it'll bring that point out. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. Now listen to what he says, how he identifies the problem. We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes and our fathers and all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us, shame of face. As it is this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and those far off in all the countries to which you have driven them because of their unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To our Lord, our God, belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, our God, to walk in his ways, which he has set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yes, all Israel have transgressed your law and have departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, a servant of God, has been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. You have to get a sense of the hopelessness of man. You didn't see Daniel crying out and saying, well, we've been kind of good, but we've slipped up a little bit. He said, look at the, the word sin and transgressions and unfaithfulness and departed from truth and iniquity and wickedly. Ah, here's a man who had a full sense of the wretchedness of the human condition. So God gives us faith and we are wretched. Now, if you know you have something you needed, but you didn't have it, something you really needed, and if someone graciously gave that to you, even a bad person, you would be extremely grateful, and you will try to find some way to show gratitude to that person. How much more grateful you ought to be to a God who gave you that thing that you needed the most, that thing that would save you for eternity. You would, wouldn't you see the, the depth of your gratitude and want to show the gratitude in the way that God wants you to show that gratitude? You surely wouldn't be pompous. Everything you have, the Bible says, you've received from God. Everything. Your salvation, your car, your job, your ability to think. Everything is from God. So how do you show that gratitude? 
How do you respond? Sing praises to God with your lips from your heart. Thankfulness from the lips is insufficient. And there's a whole lot of that. And of course, that's part of what we looked at in the first service with the church in Ephesus. They had the right actions, but the heart wasn't there. And God expects that you do so, that you praise him from the heart because of what he has done. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 through 15, say it together. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. There's a man who understood the wretchedness of his condition. He's saying, I'm the chief sinner. I'm the chief sinner. It's God who has enabled me. He is the one who worked in me. He is the one who showed me mercy when I deserve to be sent to hell, chopped down in my life and sent to hell. He saved me. You see the praises there? I thank Christ. That should be the first thing that comes into your mouth in the morning when you wake up. Thank you, Lord, for a new day. Thank you for new life. Thank you for my salvation. Before you start, your mind start racing with all the jobs you have to do that day. Even before you have your coffee or whatever you have in the morning, start off. Thank you, Lord, for what you have done. Second, make supplication. Make supplication. Pray with passion. Pray with sincerity. Pray for all your needs and for the needs of your brothers and sisters so you can accomplish the work the Lord has set out before you. Then serve God. Bend your will to his will. That's a challenge. But that's why you need to make God's law your study all the day long. So you can bend your will to his will. Instead of rebelling against his truth, do his bidding. But there's more. Part of your responsibility of showing that you've received the salvation from the Lord is to stimulate those who are weak in the faith and share the message of Jesus Christ to non-believers. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, together. Verse, uh, sorry, 1, 15 and 16, together. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. He learned that they are Christians, mother place. I've got to talk to them. I've got to pray for them. I have to give God thanks for them. Keep in mind that some of those who are weak in the faith might be right here in New Horizon. Yeah, it's easy and important to pray for others in other churches as well. But take time. Use that list we send out. Look over every family and everyone who's attending that you can pray for their needs. 
And it wouldn't hurt sometimes maybe in a gentle way to ask, are there all the things I need to pray for? Get on that email. Get on that text. Use it for something good for a change other than pictures of what your latest food is on your table. Ask, is there something you can pray for? How are you doing? You need to care for your brothers and sisters. You will see this in a few weeks, but look at Revelation chapter uh, 3, verse 14 through 21. Another one of the churches that the Apostle John was, uh, had the letter of Jesus Christ to them. Uh, the church in Laodicea, beginning at verse 14 together. And to the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth, because you say, I am rich, I have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eyesalve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. You know, these Christians didn't hate the church, but they were just not on fire for the Lord. They were not serving him with passion. In a way, a little bit like the church in Ephesus. These people simply existed in the church. They thought they were rich. And they knew that Jesus called them, but they were not really moved by it. They were rich with earthly things but they were poor with regards to the things of Jesus. They were graceless confessors. And there are many like those in Christianity today. Oh, they go through the motions. I lived in South Carolina for many years, and you go there and 50% of the people go to church, some places more. And yet their lives are no different than other places. Just tradition. Just what we've always done. You talk to them, you will hear, my grandfather was a preacher. So I'm a Christian too. That doesn't, that's not necessarily true. And that's why one of the works you show that you are saved is to stimulate those who are weak in the faith. You stimulate them. You wake them up, and you do so sometimes by rebukes and sometimes by encouragement. And of course, don't forget the non-believer who needs to hear the gospel. It's the only means of life. It doesn't matter how wicked someone is. Don't think he is hopeless. Remember what the Apostle Paul said. He went around killing Christians, imprisoning them, beating them. 
stoning them. He was there when Brother Stephen was being killed. And yet the Lord saved him. And look how the Lord used him. Never think someone is too bad or too far because the Lord says, my grace is sufficient for you. And he will pull you. He will give you faith and draw you to himself. Also, you must support the work of the kingdom with your finances so the gospel can fill the earth. Don't forget the work of missionaries around the world. It's not just here. We need that work to continue. That's how faith spreads, by the preaching of the word. And we need to pray for and support the missionaries. Well, there's one more thing. Number four, there are some who refuse to accept the gift of faith of God because they think they have enough in themselves. They are by nature very proud people. They will boast about their hard work and their accomplishments and how morally good they are. But the Christian's life is marked by submission and humility. The Christian will thank God for Jesus' work for him. We see that pictured for us in the life of the tax collector. When the Pharisee went to pray, he talked about how righteous he was. But look at the words of the tax collector in Luke chapter 18, verse 13, together. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He understood his position. And believers do live differently. Even when we are saved, we become a Christian. Our lives are then designed towards the glory of Jesus Christ. First Corinthians 10.31, whatever you do, do it for the glory of Jesus Christ. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 31 in your notes together. That as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. So how do you come to Christ? It's not rooted in your own ability. It's rooted in the fact that God gave you faith freely so you could come to him and receive the work of Jesus Christ as your own. And when you come to Christ, you will then reflect whose you are, by the life you live, by the way you care for others, and some of those things that we've, we've highlighted today about showing gratitude, about stimulating others to do well, making supplication, sharing the gospel. That's the one who has received the work of Jesus Christ. The one who has received faith and with faith believe that Jesus Christ indeed came, lived, and died for their sins. So brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, two thoughts as we close. One, reflect on your condition 
and see the place from which the Lord has brought you. And then reflect how he had to effectually call you because you love the pit, the miry clay, the muck, and the dirt. You had no interest in coming out. And he had to call you. And he had to pull you. And he had to give you hands to receive what he was offering to you. That faith. Think how great your salvation is through Jesus Christ. You were not half dead. You were fully dead. Hopeless. When you reflect, then you must respond. How do you respond? By singing God's praise. By serving the Lord. By stimulating others to put their trust in Jesus Christ. And by supporting the Lord's work everywhere. And uh, finally, if you're not a Christian, without Christ working in you by his word and spirit, your future will only be bright with the awful fires of hell. That's the only bright thing you will see. But it'll be horrible, won't it? It'll be painful, painful to your body, painful to your soul, because your conscience will prick you for eternity. But with God, there is forgiveness. Ask him to forgive you because Jesus died on the cross for sinners. He'll do it. It's free. Let us pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have brought us to yourself. You pulled us. You give us faith to receive what Jesus did. Without that, we would have no hope for we were dead and had no interest in anything spiritual but Lord now that we are yours now that we have been pulled out of that miry clay and established upon the rock Jesus Christ remind us that it is our responsibility in fact we, we show that we are yours by how we live by worship by working for you. By encouraging each other. Supporting the work of the Lord everywhere. By praying. Lord, we don't want to be ungrateful. Help us to show, to see the greatness of our salvation. So that we can love and serve you as we ought to. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.